Namaskar and welcome to Daily Global Insights, episode 287. A shout out to our viewers to like this program so it can reach its maximum potential. Today is Wednesday, the 1st of December, and here are the main points. Before I start, let's welcome Sridharji. Sridharji, Namaskar and welcome to P Guru's channel. Namaskar, good morning to uh, to everybody around United States and very good evening to people including Sriji who is reporting from the shores of India in his glazing, blazing red saddle. And the world tightens travel rules and countries impose restrictions as the variant detected in multiple countries including the United Kingdom, Germany, France, Belgium, Holland, Australia, Israel, Poland, Italy, and many more. This would be the Omicron virus, isn't it, Sridharji? It is the uh, Micron. It's not new, it's not G, but it is the Omicron virus, uh, which is making its way and uh, creating uh, you know, tremors around the world. Uh, and uh, the mutational aspects of the virus uh, causing some hiccups and the unpredictability of uh, the outcomes from this virus. But I'm sure that with already the data available, uh, you know, they would be get get ahead of this very, very soon. Uh, Sridharji, I also read in a news item that several of the patients who got this, uh, they recovered within a few days. They just felt very weak afterwards, um, but they just stayed at home and recovered. Indeed. I think that uh, the initial data says that uh, there's no intervention required. Um, except that, as you rightly said, you know, uh, there's a little bit of, uh, you know, cold, uh, sore throat, um, but more importantly, the fatigue syndrome that is, uh, that is observed. Um, and the reason why you need to stay is that it can uh, mutate. So it's not just, it cures itself, but it probably regenerates. And uh, so there could be a time lag uh, before you recover from it. This is just based on probably one or two samples of data that they have seen um, observed from the patients, uh, you know, infected with this specific virus. Uh, the fact that uh, the two major uh, manufacturing companies have come up with a model which says that they can have a vaccine response within 100 days is a reflection, uh, is a reflection of that. And in active cases in the world, eight European countries make up the top eight. United States continues to dominate with 9 million plus active cases. Can we have the chart, please? Yeah. So I think you can see how, uh, you know, the world responds. Um, obviously, uh, some of these cases, um, whether they are directly as a result of uh, this new virus or whether it is uh, the mutation or whether it is a result of the old Delta variant, we don't know, but there is a resurgence in cases. And if you take a look at the top uh, 10 countries, uh, you will find that almost eight out of the 10 uh, are in Europe, if you include Turkey to be quasi uh, rather than uh, Middle East Africa, then, uh, you know, uh, Russia, UK, Germany, Netherlands, Poland, France, you know, there's a tremendous resurgence in, uh, in Europe, uh, most notably Russia and UK. Russia, which has steadily remained right at the top, uh, has close to a million active cases. So which makes these countries very vulnerable uh, by way of, uh, you know, travel in and out 
from these countries uh, travel amongst Europe. But the world is paying more attention to Africa and quickly, uh, you know, stopping or banning passengers from eight nations rather than actually really looking into some of these other nations as well. And Asian countries such as Japan, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, tighten travel restrictions over Omicron. And India releases countries at risk as per its health ministry that includes United Kingdom, South Africa, Brazil, Bangladesh, Botswana, China, Mauritius, New Zealand, Zimbabwe, Singapore, Hong Kong, and Israel. In India, one person who came from South Africa was detected with the virus. India chart, please. Go ahead, sir. Yes, you can see that India has done relatively well. Uh, their protocols that they have uh, in the airports is able to quickly detect. Uh, plus, they also have a vaccine protocol. Uh, sorry, they have a uh, what you call as the uh, RT-PCR test protocol at the airport. So they're able to quickly uh, detect instances where uh, people are infected with any type of water, uh, virus and then they're able to quarantine. Overall, India is probably advancing its journey very well. I think they have reached, I think there's a live chart. Uh, they've gone below 100,000 active cases, which is a remarkable number relative to where India was uh, when you go back and look at February, March of earlier this year, uh, which were in millions. Uh, and then the number of vaccinations that uh, is also on the rise. So it's about 1.25 million doses have been vaccinated. Uh, 1.2 has been administered. Uh, the 8 million number in terms of the number of vaccines per day is a pretty, pretty good number. I have a feeling that this new virus is accelerating people rushing uh, and getting quickly um, you know, vaccinated if someone was on the sidelines, which is not the case in India. Uh, you know, I think they're getting their vaccines done. So this also augurs well from an Indian point of view in terms of managing anything that is coming from um, uh, this new virus. And the World Health Organization explains why they skipped new and G and chose Omicron. Sridharji, what is the explanation? <laughs> the explanation that they've given is whenever they choose a name, uh, they have to choose a name that doesn't, uh, that respects the sentiments, emotions, uh, cultural nuances of countries, people, leaders, etc. Uh, so, you know, uh, Xi is uh, new, it looks like new, so therefore new was um, ignored. There's nothing new because it's a continuation. That's the explanation. I'm not justifying. Uh, and then uh, Xi obviously coincides with already contentious COVID. Uh, virus. So therefore, the story is uh, it goes right to the top uh, when you use G. So for uh, WHO to come and give such a type of an elaborate explanation as to why they chose, because the world was saying, okay, here's another instance where China is exerting its authority uh, and uh, trying to swing the blame on someone else. So I think that's uh, it's extraordinary that, uh, that uh, WHO has to come to the public and make this statement, sir. And Moderna CEO predicts drop in vaccine power due to the Omicron variant. And President uh, Xi, or Premier Xi, I should say, pledges 1 billion vaccine doses to the China-Africa Forum 
WHO tells the world that it's not the vaccines, but the coordination that is Africa's challenge. First of all, Sridharji, the Chinese viruses, Sino, uh, uh, vaccines, Sinopharm and Sinovac have not been quite effective. In fact, China itself is facing a challenge of that. So what is it trying to do? Pawn it off to Africa, sir? Well, it's all show and tell and muscularity, which is to say that, you know, uh, hey, remember that where this 1 billion number comes from? The 1 billion mandate was given to India by Quad. Do anybody remember who Quad is? Yeah, if you remember so, there was a March meeting in which 1 billion mandate was given uh, to Mr. Modi to vaccinate the world. So now Africa is infected you know, nine months, seven months later or eight months later. And uh, who stands up in the in a virtual forum? Mr. Xi says, uh, hey, you know, I'm going to give one billion vaccines to you, Africa. And don't worry, I'll take care of you. Right. Uh, so this is his kind of proclamation. He cares very little. The other thing that one has to also say is when I, I mean, we threw we put up this chart before. Uh, which is namely uh, the, the top 10 cases in the world, right? In number two position is Russia. We are not talking much about Sputnik and the effectiveness of Sputnik. Remember, India was to produce Sputnik and India did, and but India slowly tapered it off and then with focus more around uh, its uh, two vaccines plus this, other, at least another three or four vaccines which are coming into play. So the efficacy point of view uh, it's very clear that the AstraZeneca, the Covaxin, the Covishield, the uh, Pfizer and uh, Moderna has at least up until now stood the uh, the test of time. Even J&J vaccine has receded uh, into the vaccine. So for Moderna to stand up and basically say uh, the current vaccines uh, are ineffective against the new virus and one has to take the booster. Uh, first, they said we have to take the booster Second, we will, they said it will be need to be augmented by a new vaccine that will be available in 100 days. So it looks like we could have one, two booster plus probably the fourth one coming very soon in about three to four months. And despite all this, uh, despite the Omicron, Africa has the lowest incidence of the uh, incident uh, of the virus, isn't it, Sridharji? Yes. If you take a look at this specific chart, there's only total 8 million cases in Africa, but the most important data point is active cases. Active cases is 381,000, right? So the active cases, this is, uh, you know, quite remarkable. We have 400,000 active cases in just New York, uh, state of New York, but this entire African continent, which is fairly thickly populated, uh, you have 381,000 active cases. Now, if you go one step below or two steps below, you look at South Africa. South Africa has got 28,651 cases. You look at some of these other countries like, you know, Burundi and uh, Botswana and Lesotho, etc., going down, even lower cases, you know, less than 10,000 in number. So, the Afri South African or the African continent is right in making the case why you guys are coming, uh, you know, hastily coming to the conclusion just because a South African doctor went public saying that he has found a new case and a uh, new, new virus, which is this uh, uh, Micron. So the story is that, you know, why are you reacting? The data says something different. 
uh, and the data points to that uh, point, and the data clearly points to that uh, fact. But having said that, it looks like there is a tremendous mobility from Africa, or we don't know the reasons as to why you find these cases in New Zealand, Hong Kong, Belgium, Netherlands, in remote places. At least in the case of India, the guy who, whom they detected or caught at the airport, yeah, or uh, they found at the airport, is the one who came from South Africa. So therefore, at least in that instance, we have specific data. But in these remote uh, countries in the world, where this virus came from, uh, how it came, still remains uh, unclear as to whether there was any other source other than just South Africa. And, and Sridhuji, uh, overall, my gut feeling is that with this Omicron, it sort of reinforces the fact that this virus came from a gain-of-function experiment, sir. Because you look at the shape, the shape of the new Omicron virus, they are saying that the protein uh, uh, modules, or what are called the stocks that are there, that seems to be very different from the previous one. And, and we've already said that these uh, COVID variants are 10 times the normal size of any virus. Well, you know, gain-of-function experiment, the investigation into the leaks, the investigation into the source, the investigation into the transmission, all being put into the back burner or the investigations done, but they are not releasing the data is a cause for major concern though, as the world continues to battle. I mean, this, uh, you know, on, off, on, off, on, off that we are experiencing uh, you know, doesn't augur very well in terms of the sustainability of um, normal flow of uh, human traffic activity and business. Because every time there is something, we're going to have a knee-jerk reaction because we don't have a total picture and we don't have the actual source uh, that is the uh, that is responsible for the dissemination of this virus. Sridharji, I remember in March 2020, in an interview with Dr. Shiva Ayadurai, which YouTube in its infinite wisdom has removed from the library, he was saying that this whole thing is also a, you know, this is Dr. Shiva Ayadurai that I'm quoting, that it is a conspiracy by pharma companies to switch people from medications to vaccines so that their liability goes down and there is a constant need for getting vaccinated. I don't know. At that point, I couldn't see what he was trying to say. But these events are basically proving him right, sir. Uh, Dr. Ayadurai is an expert in his field, so he knows probably what he is speaking about. Uh, but it's very clear that, uh, you know, if I have to use, uh, you know, I had uh, two doses uh, now being an American and, and especially in, uh, you know, those from New York. I also had my flu shot, uh, which triggered some reaction. And, you know, I had, uh, you know, a few days of uh, hiccups. Uh, so now, uh, you know, I missed the booster. So I, I will because I had to recover from this flu shot. Now I will be taking the booster. Uh, then very soon, in about three to four months' time, uh, I will be taking my the next dose of antidote for uh, uh, what is to be the uh, the new uh, new or potential hazardous viruses that are likely to emanate. So by then, we would have done what five uh, five vaccines. Uh, when was the last right. time we took five vaccines? 
Uh, and all I can say is that from my personal, this is my own personal experience, is the fatigue syndrome caused by these viruses, at least in my body, uh, is, uh, you know, quite, uh, you know, um, uh, I mean, uh, stupefying. Uh, you know, the, the fatigue syndrome is very visible in the body. Okay. And also I was covid uh, uh, infected. I had COVID. I was hospitalized for five days and I was uh, injected with antibodies and steroids and, you know, uh, and so on and so forth. So all this is definitely there is a cause and effect uh, in the in the body. And that doesn't mean I'm suggesting anybody. I, have got, I mean, as I've, as I've uh, very transparently laid out, I myself have taken all vaccine doses and complied with the due protocols that is required. Uh, but one thing I have to say is that it does have a detrimental effect in terms of your general disposition and health of the body. Maybe I'm a weak guy. Maybe somebody who is stronger than me can deal with it. Somebody who is younger, much younger than me can deal with it. But certainly, you know, uh, from my own experience, it looks like, as you point out, uh, we are now into a vaccine addiction or addictive syndrome. So we are now uh enshrined to this continuous process of vaccination and um israel wants iran cannot be trusted as a nuclear uh, talks resume and the united kingdom and israel plan to thwart iran's nuclear ambitions shridharji we've been saying this again and again that their enrichment process is almost at the end uh, and nearing its completion and that they could be a nuclear power um what I mean, something is going to happen soon, I feel, between Israel and Iran. And we've been saying that the three eyes. Um, what does your gut tell you, sir? Israel will intervene. That's my gut feel. Not my gut feel, that's the truth. Israel never allows any, any kind of exigencies to happen around this ecosystem. This doesn't matter what the world says. We will soon be saying again, uh, Israel and UK are now going to also cooperate to make sure that Iran has no nuclear capacity. So Israel is going to have an unusual ally coming from United Kingdom uh, by way of United Kingdom. And I think Israel will act, as you rightly point out, they have given enough warnings to United States that, uh, you know, no point in negotiating because there's nothing to negotiate. And Turkey offers to mediate between Ukraine and Russia and plans to also improve relationship with Israel. Sridharji, Turkey, is he trying to like, it's like a balloon that's trying to inflate itself and to appear bigger than what it really is. I haven't seen Turkey take some kind of a role like this uh, for a long time, Sridharji. I could be wrong. <laughs> Well, I think I think we remember we mentioned the massive global chaos in the absence of a decisive leadership. Uh, Turkey trying to intervene between Russia and Europe, and Turkey trying to intervene with Belarus. And remember, we covered uh, consistently in the DGI that you know it is from Turkey that uh, which is acting as the gateway point for all these illegal immigrants coming into Belarus and then trying to make their way into Europe. Suddenly, Turkey is saying that it will be an arbitrator uh, and also do a strategic deal with uh, uh, with, with Israel. Uh, 
uh, I don't know whether they're trying to counterbalance uh, Egypt as a power to be in uh, in Middle East and trying to assert themselves uh, as as uh, as a player of relevance. But their track record isn't anything which is appalling from the perspective of their ability to uh, be a, a negotiator and uh, to build a coalition. And Latvia calls for a permanent United States troops to guard against a Russia threat. Belarus announces military drills with Russia on along the Ukraine border. Sridharji, taken together, all these Scandinavian countries are also starting to become very active now. Well, I think, uh, as you know, the uh, Finland has uh, is not too far from uh, St. Petersburg. Uh, Helsinki right. is a right. uh, you know, stone's distance from uh, St. Petersburg. So I think, uh, you know, um, obviously there's a significant concern in the Scandinavian countries. Uh, obviously, the uh, we drew the map and we spoke about uh, the old uh, Baltic states and their proximity and fear of Russia because if they push the pedal uh, into Belarus as well as into into Ukraine, you know, when the other states are not too far off, uh, you know. So I think that there is a growing concern. Um, in my humble view, I think unnecessarily and unwarrantedly, uh, Mr. Biden uh, pushed the pedal and some of the European powers be pushed the pedal uh, as it relates to Russia. It's almost like uh, waking up a sleeping giant. Now they are pushing and asserting their right. Um, and, um, you know, we'll be talking a little bit about tomorrow uh, the potential uh, drills that are going to be conducted in Indo-Pacific and South China between Russia and ASEAN, uh, adding more mud to the uh, uh, to the problem that exists in terms of these various coalitions that are trying to say that they are uh, you know uh, preventing the uh, preventing a potential uh, issue emerging in any of these places. So I think what you are seeing is deliberate and provocative confusion. So the world is unable to decisively act, not knowing which way things are going to go. And Germany says that it is working closely with the United States on implementing the Nord Stream 2 pipe deal that runs under the Baltic Sea, carrying gas from Russia to Germany. Sridharji, we have been saying this for a long time. What is the role of US that Germany envisages here, sir? Endorsement. They want endorsement of United States, which is to say, uh, please bless this because, uh, you know, we got this thing done. Uh, remember, Mr. Trump had banned it. Uh, and then he said, uh, you know, unless it is mandatory, uh, you know, we'll revisit. And then you have uh, Mr. Biden, um, you know, he did not endorse it. But the story is that this thing got in. Um, and without this deal, that there is, uh, there is no, there is no alternate uh, as far as Germany is, as far as Germany and Europe is concerned. Ge this deal was uh, done between Angela Merkel and Vladimir Putin. Now Angela is regretting her decision both on China and possibly this, but she has no alternative, and uh, there was no security measure put in. And some of the German courts themselves. Uh, have not endorsed uh, this uh, deal, uh, Nordstrom deal, uh, basically because it doesn't comply with the uh, the German uh, laws. And Taiwan Sai hosts Baltic lawmakers from Lithuania, Latvia and Estonia seeking close cooperation. Taiwan and Europe must work together to act against disinformation campaigns and authoritative regimes. 
Sridhar ji, um, Taiwan is also trying to come out of the shadow of China, in my opinion. And and this this is now going to have a little bit of turbulence. Where do you think this is going to settle, sir? Uh, where, where do I, as far as Taiwan is concerned, China is going to continue to push uh, its barrage. Uh, as we speak, I think there was another major incursion attempted. So China is going to continue to push its battle. It will not do anything uh, egregious before 2022 Winter Olympics. Already there is Winter Olympics boycott contemplated for human rights and other issues. But it will continue to push and see whether Taiwan blinks. If Taiwan blinks, then they will create a situation not precipitous, but a precursor to eventual takeover uh, once whenever this uh, the appropriate time comes. So you are going to see the attempts continuing to be made. What Taiwan is doing is, Taiwan is building a broad coalition, not just being reliant purely on Japan, United States, uh, or for that matter, even Korea um, or Australia, and you know, trying to mend and trying to see whether there's a unified front that they can build with Europe. And there is no proposal to recognize Bitcoin as currency, says Indian fin uh, finance minister. And Global Payment Network Visa complains to the U.S. government about Indian bias to rupee. First off, on the cryptocurrency, Sridharji, I think I've read this uh, um, bill that uh, draft of the bill that is going to be tabled in Parliament, sir. It talks about the digital rupee, which seems to me eerily similar to the digital renminbi. And India will perhaps use that to do what you had correctly predicted many months ago, that it will be done between intra-country trading. And maybe uh, companies could get paid with that if India can make a case that the Indian digital rupee is something that can be like a standard for countries in and around, like, for example, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, or uh, you know, Maldives, all these countries also can use digital rupee because they may not have the bandwidth required to support something like this. Just my thoughts, Sridharji, your thoughts. No, I think that uh, we probably are moving along that path. Uh, remember, we talk about the BIMSTER initiative, which has, you know, the Bay of Bengal-based countries, which is uh, uh, Bangladesh, uh, you know, Sri Lanka, Bhutan, Nepal, uh, India, uh, including Thailand and Myanmar uh, as a block of uh, uh, trading nations. You know, when uh, trade and uh, trade begins to uh, flow, then a, a digital denominated currency, which is not subject to uh, currency fluctuations. And one of the countries which is adversely impacted, as you all know, is Sri Lanka, uh, may become a very stable way by which uh, one can uh, begin to transact and trade. One of the significant advantages of uh, using this digital mechanism is you are not daily going in and out and working of a currency. Suppose you want to pay in U.S. dollars, then, you know, daily you have to maintain balances and the U.S. dollar is market linked. So it is subjected to fluctuations, contrary to a digital, um, which is a form of that is the definition used is called a stable currency. 
the stable currency is not subject to gyration, so which probably helps. Uh, I think United States is also contemplating a, uh, a, a stable digital dollar, and then as well as, as you all know, renminbi, and sure, probably Japanese yen, etc. So there is a G2G effort, and people often get confused between a crypto and digital. They are not necessarily the same. Sir, uh, I see a trend here that might become the definition for what is a accepted digital currency. And that is when countries uh, peg it against a valid asset such as gold, immovable asset such as gold, where they can say that this country is pegged against gold. And therefore, as gold prices go up, the inherent value of this currency also sting, you know, strengthens. And, and once two countries, in my opinion, China probably, and then India, if they use that to back it, then other countries will have no other option but to do that. Because gold is the highest form of asset against which you can tie your currency. We have seen this in the past. Let's just see how it plays out. So I'm just making a thought, uh, opinion here. Indian government is working to make India one of the top two digital economies in the world and achieve a $1 trillion digital economy goal, says the Indian IT Minister of State. Sridharji, if India can pull off the digital rupee and it can asset it along with the amount of gold that India has, I think India has an excellent chance to become a, uh, you know, a, a reference currency in this new situ situation. And that augurs well, isn't it? Well, I think the, uh, uh, the reference currency is um, what you call as the trading partners, which is the reason why that India is uh, probably one of the reasons why it is adopting a slightly different strategy, which is to say that it believes in uh, bilateral free trade agreements rather than uh, multilateral free trade agreements. The bilateral free trade agreements, uh, agreements will probably encompass uh, the mechanism of settlement uh, for trade uh, be it uh, imports, exports uh, between the two nations. Yes, I think that, uh, you know, India could emerge. India is today, uh, you know, the largest digital uh, payments economic player in the world by a long stretch. And uh, a distant second is China and somewhere in the distant further is United States. So contrary to many expectations, India has zoomed past uh, and you are also seeing this digital connectivity between India and some of the adjacent nations, which is namely, can we begin to come up with a set of rules and mechanism by which, uh, you know, people can, uh, you know, people can interact, trade and settle uh, transactions using the uh, digital mechanisms. So to your point, yes, India can be a beachhead and benchmark, not only because of the trade, but also by virtue of its existing ecosystem, which seems to be very digital conducive. An Indian economy grew at 8.4% in July, September quarter in the midst of reopening of businesses and confidence among the business sector. India's eShram portal has now grown to 10 million and it is targeted to grow up to 40 million. This allows government to render benefits and track all unregistered workers. Srijadi, this is an excellent initiative on part of the government. Yes, I think that the, uh, um, 
uh, they are i think uh, you know moving up uh, the the uh, the ladder with regard to listing and recognizing the um, uh, the what you call as the unrecognized uh, or unlisted uh, employees these are the mobile workforce which goes around uh, i think two there are two examples one is to uh, to to be able to track this workforce and the second is the ability to render benefits because one of the topics that came up during this um, uh, pandemic is how do you recognize and how do you support these people when we come to the us section we will talk a little bit about this aspect what we lack here in united states and what india is attempting to do within its own shores and maldivian defense minister maria didi calls india the greatest development partner sridhar ji this is something unusual praise from maldivia or well, maldives yes maldives uh, apparently there was uh, a sporadic uh, message or sms or whatsapp or some message which uh, was sent across the island uh, you know uh, demoting uh, india and uh, saying that india is uh, being uh, looked at with uh, uh, sore eyes and one can guess who could be the person or which nation could be sending such messages to that uh, nation and the defense minister has responded in a rebutting manner which is to say that don't heed to these messages uh, you know these are all uh, instigated and india it's a very strong development partner finally she has visited at least you know there was a recent visit that she has visited few times and continuing to augment the relationship between the two nations and now uh, leading groups on both sides of the abortion issue are planning dueling events throughout the day on or near the steps of the high court sridhar ji a little bit more context on this where is this happening sir supreme court of united states states uh, the case has been taken up this is uh, roe vs wade uh, mississippi state passed a law which is banning abortions uh, so therefore that case is now being going to be taken up you know the texas case which is the once the heartbeat is heard that no abortions are allowed uh, that case was taken up um, and a ruling was made uh, to hold uh, texas uh, legislature that is again being um, uh, contested in supreme court this is a specific case that relates to uh, the most more recent state enactment passed by state of mississippi so i think that uh, given the composition of the supreme court uh whether justice kavana could play the tilting vote in terms of uh and you know uh, turning the tide on roe versus wade which has been going on for years in united states uh, is the biggest interest that is uh, that is um, uh, in the mind of the americans and the feds pay billions to fraudsters tied to china and russia in the covid-19 schemes howard talco CEO of Lexis Nexis Risk Solutions has stated that more than 40% of the 700 billion spent on unemployment went to fraudsters. Preventable foreign fraud schemes netted 175 billion, much of it going to governments. Sridharji, this is massive. So this could be also a way for siphoning off money to some political accounts, sir. I mean, people's uh, uh personal accounts 
Well, we talk about uh, we talked about the potential fraud when you look at the you know when these uh, stimulus programs and when these uh, you know uh, what you call the National uh, Reconstruction Act uh, was announced and uh, money was set aside. We still we still today have 1.76 trillion dollars of which 550 billion dollars allocated set aside. Uh, towards climate and $440 billion towards the Build Back Better Child benefits or benefits uh, to the employees. When you have these staggering numbers and there is no trackability, when there's no trackability, uh, then uh, let me you know, let's set the context here. Do we know? Can we track all the people to whom this is being sent? Uh, no, the answer is no. We have no tracking mechanism because even for elections, we decided to dismantle the basic concept of an ID and tracking because we said uh, it is uh, it, what you call disenfranchises the legitimate people. Who is legitimate? There is no mechanism. This has been the plague of these Democrats and the progressive regimes. And, uh, you know, the, I'm glad that it has uh, uh, been spoken and LexisNexis has given the data. 175 billion is an astonishing number. Number going to China and Russian hackers, the amount of money is staggering. This is the 700 million dollars that was dispersed. So in other words, we have added debt. There is no economic multiplier except money has been pumped. Forget the amount of money that we reported many a times in DGI towards foreign nations that were once upon a time considered uh, you know, off targets for United States to whom the money was diverted. Whose money is this? It is United States taxpayers' money. What is the reason why we did this disbursement? We did this disbursement. We think that because this will help to recover from COVID. What is this got to do with all these people, you know, who are getting this money to do with COVID? Nothing. So this is a regime that is unfortunately their own people are now beginning to raise issues around the trackability, accountability. And this is now a headline today. This is Wednesday morning here in the United States. Uh, it's a headline uh, news item in terms of concern on either side of the aisle as to where this money is going and how are we going to track it. Sridharji, I can tell you I'm most disappointed with this whole scream of PPP and so on and so forth. As a small business, got a very, very small tranche. And then even that I have to pay back. No loan forgiveness. There was not even a chance given to apply for loan forgiveness. And here I see, you know, <laughs> billions being siphoned off to people. And, and nobody even knows what these entities are, how they got this. And uh, it's just appalling. And it's all again going to be on the back of the taxpayer. Very, very sad, sir. Senator Joe Manchin third. The third, a key swing vote for the White House's legislative agenda, has said on Monday that Democrats could unilaterally hike the nation's borrowing limit with minor help from Republicans. So, Sridharji, I have been sympathetic to Joe Manchin till now. This one doesn't make it, doesn't sound right, sir. Well, you're stuck between, you know, a rock and a hot place. So, what he's saying is that, look, add this, uh, but take out some of this amnesty benefits, take out some of this climate accord, take out some of the schemes, 
but persuade the Republicans. Remember that Manchin brought uh, Manchin and Cinema, uh, uh, Kirsten Cinema, were the negotiators with some of these Republicans sitting on the fence. We know who they are. Uh, you know, to get this bipartisan infrastructure bill passed. He says, let us tone down this 1.76 trillion uh, budget with some of these caveats off the table and then get this uh, through this reconciliation process, get the uh, debt limit up. Well, if they don't raise the debt limit on December 15th, United States will begin to default um, on its debt obligations. So they have pushed the can and the progressive have used um, uh, you know, their agenda as a bargaining tip to hold back both on infrastructure as well as debt limit. In my humble view, the debt limit should have been the first one that should have been addressed and it should have been taken up with some kind of fiscal measures because this impacts United States as a nation and its, uh, you know, sovereign credibility. Then they could have looked at the infrastructure and then they could have done, but then that's not the way, the logic is not the way it works as far as the political advocacies go in the United States or anywhere in the world. And uh, President Biden says that he does not foresee a lockdown because of the Omicron variant. And he goes on to say that a plan is being put in place for updated vaccines. That is good to know. And he is also going to suspend a uh, delay suspension of unvaccinated federal workers and asks people to mask indoors. Virus will be here sooner or later. So all said and done, what this means is that not everybody who is uh, working for the government have to be vaccinated. So that's the door is opening just a little bit. That's how I see it. Your thoughts, sir? Door is opening wide ajar, sir. So I think that most of the mandates are up. Uh, barring a couple of few states, it is up. And I think it is, in my humble view, it is better to give people the consent, uh, educate the people and voluntarily make them come and do it. Uh, again, India is a striking example of the way it is doing it. Uh, Singapore is a small nation. Australia is a small nation with a vast landmass. They can put mandates and you know enforce as far as uh, United States is concerned with varying degrees of, look, we don't have universal health care. We don't have uh everybody on healthcare insurance in the united states many people don't take it uh vast segments of the population don't take insurance then you're going to mandate all of them to go and take a vaccine it ain't going to cut it yes indeed sir and now i will let you take uh, a shot at what is happening in the markets and update us with market information sir well, uh, we had an up and then we went down. Uh, we went down yesterday. Uh, you know, uh, the Dow was down and the S&P was down. Why? Because of two reasons. One, uh, they heard Mr. Powell, Jerome Powell say three things. One, they're tapering down fast the bond purchase program, which has been announced before. And I think he also made an important statement. Uh, maybe I was wrong. The inflation is a looming head in the room. Uh, so I think that's another statement. And the third is that uh, the consequences of this, you know, if I have to use pun, G Omicron or G Omicron, uh, you know, is here. And what the consequences of um, uh, the, uh, the, the, the effect and the economic impact of this is unpredictable. Put these three things together. People said sell, sell, sell. So the markets went down. 
But when Nirvana returns on Monday or Thursday or Friday, you will see markets kind of going back uh, to its normalcy. So a lot of sentiments and emotions drove the markets down. The two pieces of good news here, oil prices began to go under. Uh, now we are in the 60 to 70 bracket uh, between crude and West uh, Texas. Uh, then you have, uh, you know, the rates are also showing positive disposition where, you know, we are now gone below 1.5% um, in terms of the uh, the, uh, the U.S. 10-year uh, T-bonds. So there's always uh, a counterbalance uh, to this. But the, the bad news still is the, ga the gas prices at the gas stations still have not come down. And I think that very soon they need to address. One final point of data, which is, is that for the first time in the last foreseeable future, the holiday sales uh, came 1.4% lower. Now, there are two reasons for that. One reason is that this could have been, uh, you know, uh, broadly, the definition of holiday season may change by the time we get to next year. And second, that those who had contemplated purchases uh, may have uh, delayed it in, the, in, in lieu of the virus. And the third, the price increases which has come in as a result of supply chain issues. But we'll have more data by the time we come to end of December, early January. But these are all uh, cumulative consequences of the non-economic pandemic virus-related issues that is hurting the system. And that brings us to a close of today's segment. We'll be back again tomorrow, same time, same place. Namaskar. Namaskar. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Uh, and nice to see you, sir, from the shores of India. Thank you, sir.